Maybe if you don't want to talk, you could just listen. And you are listening to the latest episode of your third favourite above average and infinitely curious podcast, Dimed Out. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. But before we dive into that, if you haven't checked out last week's episode with the wonderful Kayla Spears, in which we talk about a whole number of things, but in particular her wonderful YouTube channel, Storytime with Kayla, do make sure you go check that out. Wonderful conversation, wonderful guest. Definitely welcome back on the show whenever she wants to come back. Uh, So yeah, go check that out if you haven't already. This week, we are going from story time with Kayla to story time with yours truly, me. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) this is going to be interesting. It's something that I did not plan for. It's not something that was in the initial ideas when it came to sort of outlining episodes for season two. It's kind of a bit of an improvised swerve to say the least. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I discovered a writing project in my writing folder, uh, a project that I have not seen for many a moon, about four to five years, give or take. It was a proposed travel memoir, which was to kind of coincide with the Ramble On podcast I did before this, which was initially made to cover my very first solo travel adventure in 2015 when I first came to the United States by myself and planned to go coast to coast. But yeah, alongside doing a podcast, I also thought, what else can I do to sort of further document this experience? And that was to begin a travel memoir, which started off in earnest and then, as I say, was abandoned, primarily because I got a little bit stuck with it Uh, And I lost interest, and I started working on something completely different, which also got abandoned. (laughs) I think you might be able to spot a pattern here. But yeah, having found it again for the first time in in a number of years, I was intrigued. I was intrigued to go back and, and look into it, to kind of place the mind of present me in the shoes of past me, and see what happens, really. I haven't looked at this in detail at all. I haven't read into it. I have ideas of what might be in there because of memories from the experience itself, and having seen a vast improvement in my writing in just the last 12 months, I'm expecting some some shitty writing, I'll be honest. <laughs> and that's part of the, the, the reason to do this, I guess to kind of look at progression, not just in terms of writing, but in terms of mindset and sort of uh, emotional well-being. You know, it's always interesting to take a moment to look back at yourself and who you were at certain points and see how far you've come and what you've become. So yeah, that's what is on the agenda for this episode. I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's jump into it. Uh, I'm going to go past the prologue. We did do that on Instagram Live, and I probably will have, um, 
I can't say for sure because I haven't done it yet, but you can probably also find that on YouTube as well. I'll have probably filmed the prologue for YouTube as well, just as a little additional extra. So if you really are interested in that, there are ways to find it. But this is it. This is me jumping into the travel memoir that never was. The book was tentatively titled From the Outside Looking In, and it jumps straight into JFK Airport. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to this and I'm kind of not. So, uh, yeah. All right, here we go. After seven hours in the air, barely ten minutes of which were spent sleeping with my face pressed firmly against the window, I finally touched down at JFK. Exhausted, cramped and hit with the searing heat wave of a New York summer. Wow, already this sounds so flowery. Ah. <laughs> Exhausted, cramped, and hit with the searing heat wave of a New York summer, I was relieved to have made it across the Atlantic in one piece. But I still had to get to my accommodation before I could claim any kind of victory. Yeah, alright, so I'm just going to just pause real quick, and I'm going to try and minimise this as much as possible, but I, just on that alone, foresee quite a bit of catastrophizing. Back then, 2015 me uh, was quite prone and fond of catastrophizing any and everything so yeah it's not exactly like i've been flying through a thunderstorm or anything it's just a transatlantic flight so yeah just hold on to that for a moment because it's uh it's probably going to get worse all right my first hosts on this grand misadventure <laughs> were a pair of native new yorkers named chloe and chris their home which for the next week would subsequently become my home was based in bushwick brooklyn a location which even now at this point seemed like a million miles away. I had previously been given instructions on how to arrive at my accommodation via the subway, but whilst running on fumes and failing to add credit to my prepaid SIM card, I opted to take the easy, albeit expensive, way out. I got in line for a taxi. Or at least that's what I thought I was waiting for. After 30 minutes or so of gradual movement, I eventually found out that the expanding line in which I had immersed myself was not for vacant taxis, but for a bus. A bus which, of course, was heading to a completely different part of town. Miraculously, I realised this just before I actually boarded said bus, and upon my moment of clarity, I stepped out of line and sheepishly joined the correct queue. A queue which over the course of an additional 30 minutes would finally feed me to the front door and place me onto the back seat of a cab. See, I already hate younger me for, like, there is such an easier, simpler, more effective way of saying I almost got on a bus that took me to the wrong end of town, but eventually I got a text like, oh, my days, the purple pros in this is so flowery and unnecessary. <sighs> what were you thinking, younger me? All right. Once inside and on the road, or rather all over the road, as my driver had a concerning fondness to straddle two lanes at a time. Alright, again, I'm going to try and not break it down as, as often, but who am I to criticise someone's driving when I can't even distinguish the difference between a, a line for a, a bus and a taxi? <laughs> what a dick. Once inside and on the road, or rather all over the road, as my driver had a concerning fondness to straddle two lanes at a time, I was finally on the last leg of this very long day. After 20 minutes of distracted small talk, the car stopped abruptly and I had finally arrived, haggard, 
relieved and about $40 lighter. Yeah, that was not a cheap taxi fare, I remember that. As the cab driver kept steady in the middle of the street, I clambered out and retrieved my luggage before he sped off with haste. Presumably to frighten another tourist with his unstable driving style. Wow, I'm just doubling down on this guy's driving. Wrapping the strap of my day bag around my neck and hoisting up my hold all with my right hand, I moved out of the street. Totally unnecessary details. Once on the sidewalk and stood outside of my first stop, I took a moment to reflect. After a long day of paperwork, delays, endless lines and plenty of misdirection, I had at last emerged at what could only be described as a bit of a dump. (laughs) Or for the less affectionate, a small decaying (laughs) shithole. I am such a bitch. Uh, Admittedly, I had seen pictures of the exterior, but the photos on the website certainly didn't paint this mental image. With a rumbling sense of trepidation, I opened the anemic, rusty gate in front of me and squeezed myself and my luggage into my host's front garden. Anemic, rusty gate. Wow. I say front garden, but really it was more like a burial plot for broken electronics and spare bicycle parts. Now, granted, this is actually true. This is bringing back quite the memory. This this person's front yard was like a burial plot for just broken like old computers and printers and like bike wheels. Anyway, I digress. Putting my bags down, I took a second to recenter myself. Today had been a testing and tiring experience, but it was finally coming to an end. Whatever grot may or may not lie on the other side of this door, I had to remember that after all the hassle, all the stress and all the burning anxiety, I had arrived. I was here. Keeping one foot on solid ground whilst planting the other on the first step in front of me, I arched my body upwards and knocked on the door. Why can't I just say I knocked on the door? Why can I not just say that? Oh my god. Oh, keeping one foot on solid ground whilst planting the other on the first step in front of me. I arched my body upwards and knocked on the door. Who do I think I am? Oh my days. Yeah, me too. By the way, this is recording. That was a little... No, it's alright, that was a little cameo. I'm also glad I don't do it anymore. Taking a couple of steps back so as not to be too forthright, I stood and waited, but after a few moments of silence there was no answer. I waited a few more seconds before knocking again, only this time a little louder. As I returned to my standing position, I could now hear the shuffling of feet, followed by the lock mechanism on the door coming undone. Alert, with a sense of nervous excitement, I looked on dead ahead, expecting to be greeted by either Chloe or Chris, my new artsy twenty-something New York roommates. But the figure looking back at me from the other side didn't appear to be artsy, and he certainly wasn't twenty-something, so now I'm age-shaming. Great. As the smell of tobacco and the sound of Spanish guitar wafted through the air, a shirtless elderly Latino man met my gaze. Now it just sounds like some sort of strange Mills and Boone spin-off. As the smell of tobacco and the sound of Spanish guitar wafted through the air, a shirtless elderly Latino man met my gaze. That may be the worst sentence I think I've ever written. And I have written some absolute tripe. 
I asked him politely about Chloe or Chris, but my question fell flat. Deliberately filling the entire doorway with his slight withered and sunken frame, he began talking at me rather than to me. Like any true Englishman, I combated his foreign language by belligerently continuing my side of the overlapping conversation in English. This is true, by the way. It's just inherently built into us. If we do not understand what someone's saying in a different language, we will just say the same thing but louder. Surprisingly, this came to no avail, and as the embers of the stubby little cigar he held in between his fingers continued to fight for existence, (laughs) the deeper we both fell into misunderstanding. Realising this was a dead end, I pulled out my phone to check my booking online, and as I opened up the app, the man whose evening I had seemingly interrupted suddenly became a lot more animated. The words he strung together came straight towards me with a lot more velocity and volume than before. Suddenly, without warning, he started swinging his bony arms around in the air, dropping cigar ash onto his sandals in the process. Like some kind of scolded demon, he spun into an unnatural spasm at the sight of modern technology. (laughs) He started shouting at me whilst jabbing his index finger at the space between us. Alerted by the sudden switch from sullen grumble to raving golem. Wow. Sudden switch from sullen grumble to raving golem. I decided it was time to leave. So I slowly and clumsily pulled myself and my luggage back onto the sidewalk as my bare-chested Dementor. (laughs) There may be some copyright infringement there. Glad this didn't get published, for a lot of reasons. As my bare-chested Dementor continued to drop verbal bombs from his doorstep, the app loaded on my screen, and as I looked down to confirm my booking, I suddenly realised that it was apartment 166 that I wanted, not apartment 126. Partially embarrassed, somewhat unsettled, but ultimately relieved by this latest hiccup on my journey, I wheeled my luggage down the street behind me, simultaneously cursing myself and counting my blessings along the way until I eventually arrived at my final destination. Not death, just the the actual Airbnb that I'd booked. After the wrong turn towards the airport, the Esther incident, the lack of sleep, the long cramped flight, the wasted time at JFK, the crippling heat and the overpriced taxi ride to the wrong address, I had finally, somehow, against all odds, managed to make it. In a rare glimpse of good fortune, I pulled up to the apartment 166 to find Chloe stood outside waiting for me. A petite, pale, red-headed woman who I would place at around my age, maybe a touch younger, with a warm embrace and a welcome smile, she welcomed me to New York and to her little corner of the five boroughs. Taking point, she opened the front door and led me into a clean, spacious apartment, one that was complete with an open-plan living room, two separate bathrooms and four individual bedrooms. This is not so much a travel memoir anymore as it is like a real estate listing. Despite the presence of some modern technology, the place slanted closer towards a rustic aesthetic than a contemporary one. With wooden furniture, hand-stitched throws and wicker ornaments dotted around in many ways, it felt more like a condensed country home than an inner-city apartment. It really does sound like a property list. (laughs) A quick tour was given during which my key was handed out alongside a guidebook to the neighbourhood. It was a cute homemade publication with personal recommendations pasted throughout. A simple gesture, but one that projected a sense of sincere hospitality. Once roughly acquainted with the place, I found a brief moment of welcome respite as Chloe handed me a glass of water and invited me to pull up a queue 
at the kitchen table. This would prove to be my only opportunity to talk to her as she was heading off to Puerto Rico in the morning. A much-needed vacation, according to my host. Pouring a glass of water for herself, she hoisted her small frame onto one of the spare wooden stools and joined me at the kitchen table. During our brief time together, we covered quite a bit of ground. I learned that Chloe worked within the New York education system, but she was also a dancer, come choreographer. A fact that she mentioned a couple of times alongside the claim that she and Chris were one of the first apartments in New York to register with Airbnb. Although there was definitely a somewhat boastful undertone to this part of the conversation, I paid little attention to it, as for the most part, Chloe carried herself with a degree of warmth and candour. We, or rather she, managed to fit a great deal of talking into such a confined window. I really am such a bitch! During which it became evident that underneath the pleasant exterior of her personality, there was undoubtedly a sharp side to her demeanour. However... During our brief moment at the kitchen table, she thankfully kept it hidden. I have no idea what that even means. Am I just trying to insinuate that she could be a real real piece of work? Uh, I, I don't really getting, remember getting that vibe. Anyway. Still, having said that, there was obviously a fiery passion to that prickly undercurrent. One that most definitely piqued my interest. Man alive. We continued to converse for another 20 minutes or so before she had to leave, and as our dialogue came to a close, we said our brief goodbyes before she headed out the door. Between Chloe and the cantankerous old man at apartment 126, I had managed to meet two distinct characters within my first 30 minutes of arriving. But in both cases, they had left my life almost as quickly as they had entered it. Was this the precedent to be set? Was this entire trip predetermined to be populated by a cast of fleeting cameos? In regards to disgruntled occupant of 126, I was more than happy to have him simply be a not-so-casual introduction. But that was certainly not the standard I had envisioned for the rest of my journey. Exhausted, habitually overthinking the simplest of things, told you, and quickly becoming irritated courtesy of my clothes sticking to my skin, I felt a shower might help me make me feel more human. I felt a shower might help me make me feel more human once more. Yeah, yeah, this is... never mind. So with that in mind, I grabbed my wash bag and headed into one of the two cluttered bathrooms available. As far as bathrooms go, it was far from spectacular, but by no means the worst I've ever used. And it's true. I won't even go into detail what what takes that particular honour. It was small and densely populated by a mass of products bundled together, and although it sported signs of rust around the outer rim, the bathtub-turned-shower looked sturdy and, more significantly, sanitary enough to use. I pulled out the essentials, locked the door, stripped off, and climbed in with the hopes of bathing in sweet, simple relief. Again, why can I not just say I had a shower? Why, (laughs) Why am I taking... So many fanciful steps to say, I was hot, I was tired, I wanted a shower, so I took one. No, instead, I'm, I'm there talking about locking the door, stripping off, climbing in to the, to the shower with the hopes of bathing in sweet, simple relief. What an arse. However, upon re-entering... Oh, sorry. No, not even re-entering. <laughs> this thing's doing a number on my noodle... However, upon entering the tub, I looked down only to find that the shower's singular tap was missing a head. After a frantic, fruitless search for the missing component, I decided to take matters into my own hands. Quite literally. Between my thumb and my forefinger, 
I gripped the rigid stem upon which the missing head should sit and tried to yank it anti-clockwise, but this simple task rendered no success whatsoever. I tried this a number of times from various angles but got the same result with each attempt. As tiny and as insignificant as this problem was in regards to the bigger picture, it was the tightly wound metallic straw that broke this particular camel's back. With no water, no shower and no patience left at the end of a long and shitty day, my mood had cannonballed into a brick wall. Feeling utterly deflated, I pulled my sweaty clothes back on and dropped myself onto the bed in my room. Not only was I both physically and mentally exhausted after a gauntlet of problems, but now all of my anxieties were coming out at once. If this is how the first day has been, how am I going to cope with the rest of my trip? If I can't even successfully navigate my way to the right address, how am I going to get around New York as a whole? How am I going to talk to people? How am I going to manage in this heat? Was this a good idea? What have I done? Am I out of my depth? Is it too late to go back? Are those far too many questions for one paragraph? Yes. Yes is the answer to the the last one. Wow. All of these questions and more began to violently swirl around the inside of my head, crashing into one another and against the side of my mind, bruising any sense of reason that stood in their way. A hundred paranoid and overly critical barbs cutting away at my already frail demeanour from within. Freaked out and on the verge of folding in upon myself, I pushed my face deep into the pillow before grabbing my phone and doing the only thing that made any sense. I called Alyssa. Alyssa, by the way, is the pseudonym for the woman who is now my wife. Uh, back then, as, as you find out, it wasn't as, as clear-cut as that, but that is who Alyssa is for future reference. And uh, if you're listening to this episode, Alyssa, uh, this, is, this is how I felt back then. You're kind of getting an insight into, into 2015 me. Alyssa and I go back a number of years now, and our relationship is, well... There is no word to really truly do it justice, other than complicated. We first came into contact with one another online some time ago, and since then, the dynamic of our relationship has moved through various prisms. I think she still has feelings for me, and I know for a fact that I still have feelings for her, and in less than two weeks we're meeting in person for the first time. Yet despite this intensely charged grenade of emotions and circumstance, amidst the potential chaos and certified complications attached to our situation with her, there is a feeling of unblemished calm. I've never felt more accepted or comfortable to be myself than I have done with her. There is an inexplicable connection I've never felt with anyone prior, the kind that I simply cannot imagine replicating with anyone else. So I call, and she answers... And for the next 60 minutes or so, I vent all of my uncertainty while she patiently listens, doing whatever it is that she does to settle me. Her empathy and her understanding of me is like a cascade of natural serenity. It helps bring me back to a much more rational level. And it's not just her words, it's the manner in which she speaks. With her voice, she uncovers a place that nobody else has discovered, a place that nobody else will ever know. I don't know how to do it justice with words alone, so... I won't even try. By the time I hang up the Skype call, my insecurities are still lingering in the background somewhat, but the internal pressure I felt before has been lowered drastically. Alyssa has turned down the volume, and gradually my raging insecurities begin to find themselves sedated. Sitting alone in this strange room on the end of this strange bed, 
I inhale deeply and heed her advice. I switch on the air conditioning, stretch out, and attempt to sleep, with the hope that tomorrow will be better. Chapter 2. Heading Out Despite a prolonged bout of initial unrest, I slept with ease when I finally did drop off. But despite my solid state of slumber, I awoke to the familiar feeling of anxiety fluttering through my system. Granted, it wasn't on a par with how I felt at the tail end of my arrival, but I could still feel its sharpened claws carving out a deep impression from within. Flat on my back, staring at the eggshell ceiling stretched out above me, I feel my fingers subconsciously grasp onto the bedsheets beneath. I take a deep breath in, pulling it to the base of my chest before exhaling. This is really happening. A deliberation unequally comprised of both realisation and reassurance. The first challenge placed before me was conquering the practical exercise of getting around. New York is far too vast to explore solely by foot and taxi fares will bleed me dry before the end of the week. So the only option to get from A to the numerous B's of Brooklyn and beyond is the subway. A cavernous labyrinth of subterraneous murk compacted with various metallic vessels. <sighs> let's, let's just uh, let's take a second for that. The subway. It's been described as many things by, by local native New Yorkers and tourists alike. I may be the first person on the earth to describe it in such a ridiculous fashion as a cavernous labyrinth of subterraneous murk compacted with various metallic vessels. A vast and intricate network of tentacles, each one complete with countless ways to get lost. Granted, like so many other overly tech-dependent travellers of the modern age, I had GPS to hand, courtesy of my phone. But even so, my self-doubt towards the navigation was still a little tart. I guess as some kind of warm-up act before my first foray outside, I decided to acquaint myself with my current accommodation. Oh, I just want myself to stop. I just want to go back in time and slap my hand away from the keyboard. Oh. After all, my bedroom and the seemingly defunct bathroom were my only points of reference thus far. It's not true. Apartment 126 was a point of reference, but I wasn't going back there anytime soon. With more than a pinch of intrigue, I slipped out... (laughs) Seriously, I just want want to slap my hand away from the keyboard and slap myself in the face. With more than a pinch of intrigue, I slipped out of my room and into the communal living space, also known as a living room. Jeez. With my bare feet padding across the wood-panelled floor, I scanned the area around me. Upon further inspection, it appeared that Chris was out. Chloe was obviously on her way to Puerto Rico, and from what I could tell, I was the only guest in habitation. (laughs) Taking advantage of my newly found solitude, I decided to investigate my surroundings with a more detailed and observant eye. So basically I'm just having a nosy around, seeing as there's nobody in. The apartment was spacious, as previously mentioned in the apartment listing part of the travel memoir. The apartment was spacious, yet despite its liberal shape, the area possessed a very busy interior. A brown leather couch and coffee table sat within the middle of the living room. It was simple but functional centrepiece around which the rest of the apartment revolved. But it wasn't the furniture which caught my eye. It was the items, or rather item, which adorned it. Sat square in the centre of the coffee table beside a notepad complete with unfathomable handwriting was a giant glass jar of weed. It had been some time since I'd seen the stuff in person, but there was no mistaking the herbal contents within the cylinder. It pretty much made its fragrant introduction as soon as I opened my bedroom door. 
I wasn't advised, sorry, I put an exclamation there because I have written an exclamation mark. It doesn't justify or warrant it, but just to give it the, the appropriate reading for which I, I put down in this first draft. I'm going to give you a second one just to really embolden the drama of this. It had been some time since I'd seen the stuff in person, but there was no mistaking the herbal contents within the cylinder. It pretty much made its fragrant introduction as soon as I opened my bedroom door. I wasn't averse to my host's ownership of weed, not in the slightest. I was just a bit perplexed as to why it was displayed so prominently in such a large transparent container. Was it communal weed? Where everybody could just help themselves? Or was it merely a decorative accent? Like, pop puree, <laughs> only usable. <laughs> oh, oh boy. As I continued exploring, I noticed that adjacent to the jar of weed was a jumbled abundance of vinyl records spilling out in all directions, a gathering of what appeared to be second-hand LPs, most of which wore scuff marks on their sleeves. Bending down to take a closer look, I can see that this particular catalogue ranged from obscure folk singers to avant-garde examples of psychedelic rock. Whoever claimed ownership of this collection could do so with a sense of pride, albeit tainted with an essence of possible pretension. I am one to talk. Just on that sentence alone, I am one to talk about pretension. The walls, much like the ones in my room, were adorned with various pieces of art and off-kilter decor, from twee samplings of Americana to hand-drawn portraits that were positively Lovecraftian. <laughs> the mix of aesthetics made for a strange but fascinating brew. Small wooden sculptures of various animals and unidentified entities were placed in various locations, and draped over an armchair was a raggedy wool blanket. Hanging from the ceiling was a set of crystal wind chimes. Upon first viewing the apartment, there was a distinct scent of quasi-spiritual pseudo-bohemia to the place. But it was the book collection in the corner which took it a step beyond peaceful vibes and natural remedies. Scouring through their shelves, because I really was just being a nosy bastard by all accounts, I'm just digging through what they've got in their living room. Scouring through their shelves, I saw a vast collection including such titles as A Bible of Angels and Demons, Reaching the Next Realm, and Beyond the Flower of Life. As I probed the unusual additions to their personal library, I found myself in a state of contemplation. For the first time since putting this journey into motion, I stopped to think, who exactly is it I'm staying with? See, younger me is a little bit freaked out by all of this. Me now... I would have loved all of that. I would have been asking them so many questions. I would have probably asked to borrow one of those books. But um, evidently, uh, 30-year-old me, or yeah, I would have been 30 at this time, a little bit um, spooked by by the idea of reaching the next realm, which is not surprising considering some of the shite that I've read so far. Other than a few pleasantries in email form and the reference of other strangers on the internet, I had no verification of either sanity or safety in regards Chloe and Chris. I had been so preoccupied with putting this whole thing together in time that the faculties and intentions of my hosts had not come into mind until now. And now, my mind was beginning to wander. Again, exclamation mark, totally not needed. Totally unjustified. What exactly goes on in here, I thought. Just, you know, just chill out, man. Just seriously pass me, chill out. They're just into some pretty interesting stuff. And in a few years' time past me you'll probably be quite surprised at how silly you were acting in this moment. Anyway, sorry, here's the rest of my internal dialogue, my internal catastrophizing. 
Am I safe here? Or am I next in line for some kind of cult initiation? Wow. <sighs> At this moment in time, driving the underground didn't seem quite as daunting. So without any further hesitation, I packed my day bag and grabbed any essentials I may have needed before heading out the door. Despite an initial pang of uncertainty, as the days progressed, I would quickly come to realise that I was perfectly safe within Bushwick's hallowed sanctuary of free thinking. I really am a dick. Or I was. Like, what is that? Ugh. Whatever it was Chloe and Chris were, and are presumably still into, it didn't feel dangerous. Somewhat eccentric and far-fetched, perhaps, but not dangerous. The neighbourhood in which they conducted their quirky beliefs possessed a much more prominent vibe of uncertainty. With boarded up windows, abandoned shopping carts overflowing with garbage, and a litany of exclamations regarding rat poison, the corner of Brooklyn I had found myself occupying was, with the exception of its street art, far from aesthetically pleasing. Despite the bright burning hues of the summer sun hanging overhead, the streets were swaddled in dense blend of brick red and stone grey. Flyers and impromptu graffiti clung to the walls on almost every block, and vacant buildings overthrown by wild shrubbery and plantation mapped out large portions of the local landscape. There wasn't a particularly frightening atmosphere perpetrated by the locals, but at the same time, there was hardly a sense of welcome to be found either. I, this, I don't like this. I, I don't like what I'm writing here. I don't like this observation, and I don't remember feeling any sense or aura of of distrust or threatening atmosphere. So I'm calling bullshit shenanigans of myself here. I feel like past me is blowing this way out of proportion. This is not how I remember it at all. Yeah, it was it was different in the sense that this is not somewhere I'm used to. I am the furthest away from home I've ever been and therefore there is a sense of trepidation, there's a sense of anxiety. I mean, I was still dealing with a lot of internal anxiety, social and just general. And I feel like, I don't know if I'm just, like, past me is exaggerating this for dramatic effect, or if this is just a misinterpretation of that. But I think that's what's going on here, because I don't remember it feeling anywhere near as ominous or as sort of treacherous or, or like just this lingering weird atmosphere that I'm sort of creating sort of here. Yeah, that was not the case. Anyway, the humidity of this feeling was just as prominent on the train. Strangers sat staring into cell phones utterly consumed by their own agenda, silently closed off to the surrounding area and all unknown civilians within sight. It was an uncomfortable cold front made worse by the fact that I felt completely overwhelmed and out of my depth. See, there you go. That's what I think is, is happening here. You know, I was very much, I do very much remember feeling overwhelmed and out of my depth and scared, you know, to be out, as I say, on my own, the furthest away from home I've ever been by myself and dealing with my own mental health issues. But it certainly wasn't like all the locals were was like... Hostile. Far from it. Um, there were so many station stops and connecting routes, a tapestry of coloured lines that overlapped and linked together like some kind of overbearing kaleidoscopic beast. Again, the subway, as you've never heard it described before. I hated public transport at the best of times, but the idea of submitting myself to such a foreign and heavily populated system continuously prodding at my anxiety like an exposed nerve. Yeah. 
there were so many opportunities to go wrong and knowing my luck it was more a case of sooner rather than later. However, as daunting as it was, confronting the underground was something I had to do. Shrouded in initial doubt and driven by stubborn defiance, the dueling dichotomy of feelings inside my stomach pushed me forward to the nearest station where I purchased a ticket that was valid for one week. I wish I could purchase a comma and put one in there. Also, I wish I could just purchase some common sense to take out the unnecessary words. I don't know what is going on there with um, the the alliteration. (laughs) Why I felt the need to have so much alliteration to just say I bought a train ticket for the week. Like, I, I bought a subway pass. I don't know. Anyway, after working out the where and when, I boarded the appropriate train and set off towards my first destination, enveloped in the deafening silence of a dozen commuters. I will give myself some credit, that's a pretty decent line. It's it's a little bit unnecessary for, for just basically saying I got on a train, but I do kind of like that last part, enveloped in the deafening silence of a dozen commuters. Credit where credit's due. Good shout, future, uh, or even past me. Jeez, I don't even know my own time senses. Anyway, (laughs) as the subway system became more familiar throughout the week, I would look back at this period and think to myself how silly it was to be scared of such a trivial thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. After all, I had successfully navigated my way through the underground eight years prior, although in my defence, I was a very different person back then, which is terrifying, because I was worse eight years prior when I went on on a university trip to New York. I was worse than this guy so yeah take this guy and just reduce him even further and it's it's not even can you imagine a travel memoir from 22 year old me horrendous horrendous i was a very different person back then for starters i had significantly more confidence in myself perhaps a little too much even i was young sturdy (laughs) sturdy and naively saw the world decorated with a much brighter palette. On top of that, I wasn't cast into the city alone. I was armoured by a group of peers. Oh, oh, just, just no. Armoured by a group of peers. This time, however, as you can probably tell, I was incredibly self-aware. Somewhat soured by cynical experiences, and most damaging of all, I was here amongst this sprawling mess, all by myself. Again, another unnecessary uh, exclamation mark. Just love collecting them, apparently. But these are the exact reasons why I decided to alter my life so drastically in the first place. The omnipresent poison that was my self-consciousness, the damage it had done and the opportunities it had pulled away from me, these were all key factors as to why I found myself halfway across the world with a vast number of possibilities in front of me. Despite my natural tendency to push familiar buttons, I sternly reminded myself of this as the subway car continued to grind on. To go hand in hand with the vaguely sketched outline of this whole trip, I would faintly plot an itinerary of sorts for each destination. This was usually done either on the way to said destination or upon my initial arrival, once again showing the extent of my meticulous planning. But before setting off into the streets of Brooklyn, I had pieced together a few places of interest. The first on my list, and the closest to my current location, was Battery Park. Eight years ago, this wouldn't have even been considered let alone pursued as a first stop on my journey. But as mentioned earlier, I was a different person back then. Although there are parts of me and my persona which have changed for the worse throughout my 20s, that's an understatement, there is a great deal which has changed for the better. 
For all my insignificant hang-ups and niggling insecurities, I find that on a bigger scale, I am far more rounded and developed as a person. Hell, some days I even feel like I've made significant improvements as an actual living, breathing, sentient being. Actually, I think this is true. As much shit as I've given younger self here, younger self at this point, at 30 years old, back in 2015, uh, was, was a lot more rounded, was actually a lot more developed in a lot of ways. You know, there was still a lot of room to grow, a lot of improvement, especially on the writing front. But yeah, at this point, I was more happy with myself as a person than I had been previously. So yeah, I'll give myself, I'll give myself a pass on that one. All right, jumping back into it. I have far more interest and appreciation for both the intricate and the expansive mechanics of this beguiling world in which we live. I say that, and then I go along and say something like that. This is why you should never give yourself compliments, because you only let yourself down in the end. A realisation that became more apparent during my time at Battery Park. The craftsmanship behind the oversized sculptures that surround me, the calming influence that comes with the sound of a water fountain soaking the stone ground beneath my feet, the spirited intentions of a community allotment, all of these nuanced details would have completely evaded the narrow spectrum of my younger self, but, for some reason... They resonate deeply with my present incarnation. Perhaps it's something that develops with age. Perhaps it's something formed from experience. Perhaps, dare I say, it's a product of maturity. Whatever claims to be the catalyst, the end result is without doubt one of my finest alterations. Looking out across the stretch of water that separates the edge of Battery Park and the Statue of Liberty, I contemplate for both better and worse how far I've come since last standing on this island. I may have been a stranger to the personal issues which occupy so much mental real estate these days, and I may have been untarnished by genuine loss. But within my shielded state, I was oblivious to so much. I saw the world in such an immediate two-dimensional frame. In the space that lies between now and then, I may have had my foundations demolished, but I have learnt valuable lessons from rebuilding. Looking out into my morning backdrop, I compare my current self to that eight years my junior, And although the latter might have more exuberance, I think the former has a lot more to offer. Deciding to stay within the surrounding area for a while, I walk aimlessly and explore. It isn't long before I find myself passing by the New York Academy of Film and wandering into Bowling Green, New York's oldest public park. But as picturesque as the park's red floral perimeter is, a more striking if not perplexing visual is found further north. Moving deeper into the financial district, I stumble upon a gaggle of visitors, all of whom appear to be crowded around something specific. As I move closer and gaps begin to form in the surrounding wall of people, I see stood before me a giant bronze statue of a bull. More specifically, I see a troop of tourists posing for photographs whilst cupping the testicles of said bull. (laughs) This is true, and I think this is for good luck or something, if, if I remember rightly. I think I found out afterwards that this is a gesture that is done Uh, as supposedly a good luck thing. The bull has apparently been there since 1986. How often it's had its testicles caressed over the last 29 years, I do not know. What I do know, however, is that particular gesture, although unusual to say the least, brought a great deal of pleasure to those tourists. One man in particular had a look of unparalleled happiness plastered across his face, the kind of uncompromising joy that is undeniably infectious. So while this complete stranger inexplicably grabbed hold with both hands, I couldn't help but smile alongside him. Moving away from the gathering of... (laughs) Moving away from the gathering mass of statue molesters, I spent the rest of the morning floating through the National Museum of the American Indian. 
A grandiose building with pillars standing guard outside, shiny marble walkways and domed ceilings crafted with meticulous detail. It's an impeccable building, one that thankfully comes with air conditioning, an amenity which at this moment is nothing short of a blessing for my unnatural tolerance, my unnatural intolerance, sorry, towards heat. And this is true, actually, this is one thing that I have found is essential uh, being in America, uh, especially here in central Texas during the summer, is, is air conditioning. Yeah, because otherwise the heat will just shrivel you. Absolutely shrivel you. Uh, the free admission isn't bad either, <laughs> but it's the building itself and the contents within which make the visit truly remarkable. The exhibitions throughout showcase various examples of artwork and handmade jewellery, some of which are contemporary pieces inspired by the culture, whilst a select few appear to be preserved originals. Further down, there are a number of simple displays that illustrate day-to-day living in Navajo culture, from survival to self-expression. The contents of the museum presented a detailed view of simpler times and tougher problems. Upon completing a full circuit of the building and taking stock of everything it had to offer, I headed back into the streets of Manhattan. By this point, my phone is rapidly losing battery power, an inconvenient habit that it refused to shake. So with its life supply seeping out, I head towards the underground and make my way back towards Bushwick. Once there, I pick up a burrito from a local deli, charge my phone and bask in the sputtering breeze of my window unit. The burrito is binned after three or four bites due to the fact it tastes like dirty socks soaked in bromide. Or bromine. One of the two. I don't know. Either way, that metaphor is terrible. Uh, And whilst I contemplate a possible replacement, I also consider how I'm going to spend my evening. Consulting the cute handmade guidebook that Chloe gave me, I flick through its contents and see that inside it highlights a variety of cafes, diners, laundromats and bars. The latter is the obvious choice when it comes to evening activities, but there is a problem. Well, actually, there's two. First is the onset anxiety of going into a strange bar by myself and being that guy, the lone drinker, or in my case, the lone non-drinker. See, for the past seven and a half years, I haven't drank alcohol. Not one drop. And for good reasons. Prior to the start of my dry spell, I drank an awful lot. Not in the sense that I had a daily dependency, but when I did drink, which admittedly was often, I did so to ridiculous levels. When blacking out and remembering nothing of the day before becomes a somewhat regular occurrence, you need to firmly reevaluate your situation. When habitual drinking has you walking miles outside the city limits in your bare feet, or has you deliberately walking into oncoming traffic, then you need to make a sudden and drastic change. Yeah, that's true. That is sadly, sadly true on both accounts. Um, Yeah, both instances uh, which were were sort of lowlights in my life, where I was in in a very, very dark place, as you can tell. Um, but yeah, just got to a point where I was like, ah, I've got to stop. So I did for, as I say, seven and a half years. I was like a different person back then, as I've said so many times already, a very different person. Alcohol was an accelerant for a multitude of demons, each one clawing at me from various directions. But now I was older, wiser, and wielded more control. And although far from golden... I was tethered to a firmer sense of stability. But still, I had managed to maintain my straight edge for nearly eight years now, a practice.
proud, if not stubborn, streak for me to maintain. In the back of my head, I'm going over the situation continuously. This is potentially a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I've left everything behind to throw myself into this venture, and really, I should be open to just about anything. But as much as I want to embrace each opportunity, there is a cerebral part of me steeped in belligerence. It's not that I'm scared old habits will resurface, not in the slightest. The conflict lies within the idea of changing who I am, compromising what it is I've come to know over the last seven and a half years. No matter who tells you otherwise, change, whether it is for better or for worse, can be downright terrifying, and right now, with social awkwardness and personal insecurity perched firmly upon my shoulders, the idea of change is far from enticing. So I decide that this conflict of interest simply cannot be resolved right now. Rather than continuously rattle both sides of the argument inside of my skull, I head out to a place which in the past has always given me peace of mind. The Nighthawk is what I would effectively describe as my kind of theatre. It is small and unassuming, yet, rightfully so, it seems proud of its independent setup. I've opted for a screening of a documentary named The Wolfpack, a film which focuses on a group of New York siblings and cinephiles who have spent their lives confined within a singular apartment. For them, the medium of film has not just become a passion, it's morphed into a surrogate for experience and become their only active window to the world outside. There's a special kind of irony to be found here, I guess, especially when you consider this is how I've opted to spend the first night of my grand adventure, the whole purpose of which was to break away from self-inflicted solitude. Usually when you hear of people leaving the life they know behind in pursuit of travel, you often hear them unravel tales of wild exploration gripping encounters of isolated survival, base jumping from intoxicating mountaintops or swimming with exotic sea creatures, thrusting themselves into various other incomprehensible scenarios. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you've picked up this book looking to find adrenaline-filled anecdotes and death-defying tales, then I'm afraid you'll be sorely disappointed. It's not that I'm adverse to trying new things. The issue, for a lack of a better word, is that I have become such a stubborn creature of habit. Not to mention I'm ridiculously out of sync with the outside world. For the last few years I have, for all intents and purposes, been an extended member of the wolf pack, which, trust me, is nowhere near as cool as it might sound. Although by no means agoraphobic, the potent blend of depression, anxiety and low self-esteem has seen me isolate myself from society. Old friends are scattered across the country, locked firmly into the evolution of their own lives, which, evidently for one reason or another, I'm no longer a part of. My ability to interact with strangers is seemingly non-existent, and despite significant weight loss over the last year, I'm still overly critical of my appearance. I am, and have been, for the longest time now, my own worst enemy. Steeped in awkwardness and being well-seasoned with discomfort meant that releasing myself back into the wild, as it were, was always going to be a gradual process. So, heading out to the movies seemed like a logical first step to me. It may lack the panache and the wow factor that so many once-in-a-lifetime adventures often boast, but it was me. And it was comforting. And if nothing else, it was a start. The more I think about that last particular sentence, and the more I think about the parallels between me and the family featured within the documentary, the more it becomes abundantly clear just how much cinema has been a form of escape for me over the years. On one hand, it allows me the opportunity to leave the real world for a couple of hours and absorb the surroundings of a fictional one, 
whether that be with the intention of obtaining pure escapism or with the paradoxical hopes of finding something or someone real that I can connect with. I suppose the other side to this is that it allows me to get out of the house and be amongst people whilst utilising a minimal amount of social mechanics. Yeah, there are certain interactions to be had, but as a whole you get to be part of a group experience without ever asserting yourself or summoning an individual spotlight. Granted, there's a somewhat cheap and hollow aspect to that train of thought, but when self-esteem is paper thin or you're in the midst of retraining yourself socially, there is a great deal of reassurance to be found in this state of social camouflage. After the movie, I headed back to my makeshift home before calling Alyssa. The idea of finally meeting her is both exhilarating and terrifying as I have no idea where we are right now, let alone where we go from this point. After hanging up the phone, I switch off the bedroom lights and stretch out on top of my duvet, my feet just about dangling over the edge of the mattress. These first two days have been somewhat of a surreal blur, a frantic parade of jagged feelings speeding through my mind. But rather than try and decipher them or dwell on what has transpired so far, I simply close my eyes and attempt to sleep. And there we go. That is the first two chapters of this. There are another three, but we are going to cover those. In uh, in fact, there's another four. Wow. Uh, yeah, I may have to make some selective edits. But yeah, we're going to continue this in the next episode. Because I feel like this has been kind of fun to jump into. Uh, you know, I said at the start I was looking forward to it and not at the same time. It's good because it's it's making me confront... Uh, who I was back then, uh, you know, which is never really particularly easy or fun for a lot of us to do. But I do think it is important. It allows us to see, as I said at the top of the show, that sense of growth and that sense of expansion within who we are and what we've become. So, yeah, and it was also kind of funny as well. At least to me it was. Hopefully it was to you. Hopefully you guys got um, a few laughs and giggles at some of the absolute nonsense in that uh, travel memoir but yeah those are the first two chapters of it and uh yeah the next episode we're going to do a little bit more like i said i might be a little bit more selective i might edit some of the stuff out and, and find some of the more juicier sections off the top of my head i'm trying to think from memory uh what would be included definitely a trip to the moma um there would be a oh let me see uh a mia would be in there this is the australian woman that was staying at the same place that i was she was an interesting character all of her own uh, australian woman pursuing video game design who was staying in the old apartment of a dead artist at one point who had been all over the globe and uh, we went out for a night out for dinner and stuff and it was awkward because <laughs> i didn't know what the hell she was talking about half the time so th- that would be in there uh, yeah, lots of other stuff um, in there as well. So yeah, going to do a little bit more of this in the next episode. Unless, of course, you have a really strong aversion to that. Maybe your cringe quota is full and ready to burst and you cannot take any more. In which case, please do let me know and I will put a big, chunky, full stop. Not an exclamation mark, because there's already plenty of those in the travel memoir, but a big, chunky, full stop at the end of this and we will move on to something else but if i don't hear anything from you guys then we are going to finish this up next week if you are new to the show god forbid this is your first episode if that is the case then do please check out our back catalog because there is 
far more interesting topics and episodes available. This is a terrible one for you to jump into to begin with. But if you are doing that, if this is your first, do check out our previous material. And the best way you can do that, and also help us out, if you haven't done so already, is to simply subscribe. We are available wherever you get your podcast from. Just hit that subscribe button. Not only does it help us out, but it also allows you to get every single episode following this one without doing a single thing. It's all delivered to a device of your choosing. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. So yeah, do that if you haven't done so already. But on that note, this is it. That's it for this week. We are done. Look after yourself, look after each other, and until next time, keep it dimed.